something that happened last night. I didn't even mention this to Gloria, but <clears throat> I worked yesterday, and, and uh, you know, as you're preparing for a message, sometimes, you know, I'm not like Mike or maybe Bob, you know, they can kind of do an outline, and they can just run with it. And I've tried that before, and I've failed really miserably. <laughs> so uh, typically, I have to sit down, I have to write it out, type it out, and uh, just kind of go that way. And so I had had the message, the Lord had been kind of rolling a couple things around up in, my, up in my mind, and so I thought, well, I'll just kind of go with this a little bit and see where he takes me. And he's taking me a couple different directions, but <clears throat> last night uh, after work, I was finally had my rough draft, and I was actually going to put it on a computer. Uh, and so I was doing that at work, namely because I didn't trust that if I did it at home, I'd lose the whole thing, <laughs> and then I'd be up here scrambling. <laughs> so anyway, so I was at work, and it was kind of interesting because, you know, I was having just a little trouble concentrating. You know, there wasn't a soul in the whole building. I had everything had locked up and I was just working. But all of a sudden, wouldn't you know, one of the cars, the alarm goes off. Just out of the blue. It just, all of a sudden I hear this honking. I thought, well, what is that noise? And there's an alarm that goes off. So I tracked down the keys and walked out there. Absolutely nobody around. Hit the button. Alarm stops. Okay, well, so be it. So I went inside, put the keys away, started going back to my message. About 10 minutes later, guess what? Alarm goes off again. So I thought, okay. So somebody, somebody's trying to keep me from concentrating right here. So this time I brought a pliers out, so I opened the hood, and I unhooked the positive terminal on the battery. So I said, if it happens again, I know it's, the sa- I know it's Satan. But anyway, <laughs> it didn't happen again, thank goodness. So I just got to remember to hook that back up again. But, <clears throat> you know... Uh, the message that I had uh, is, is basically working out your salvation. This is a verse that I've always struggled with in the past because it's, it's, it's always one that seems like it requires more than uh, it really should. And I'm trying to figure out why this verse, why this verse uh, says it what, it what it says. The verse is about working out our salvation, and it comes from Philippians 2.12. And it says, Therefore, my dear friends... As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I've got to go back just a little bit and tell you, a couple, tell you another story. About two weeks ago, um, we had had some concrete work finished up in our backyard, and our front yard, and uh, thankfully I had some equipment that was able to do some of the, most of the heavy lifting, so I had some of the dirt work was there, and I had to haul in some rock, and so anyway, this was a Saturday, and we started pretty early in the morning, and I don't think we finished till 4.30, 5 o'clock, you know. So, I mean, just getting a lump of dirt there is fine, but you still have to get out there with a rake, and you've got to move it around. And then after that, you've got to break up the clumps, and then you've got to seed the grass and kind of work that in. And so I was doing all that, and then, you, then I had some landscape rock, and I was pouring that into place. You've got to level that off, and <clears throat> it was a lot of work. In fact, I was dirty, and I was sweaty, and... You know, uh, at the end of the day, Gloria and I were sitting on, this, on our cement, and I was kind of admiring this, all this work, and all of a sudden this feeling comes over me, okay? You ever get this feeling? You're there, you're looking at everything that you've just accomplished, and I can really only describe it as, I never want to do that ever again. <laughs> never. I mean, I was so worked up, and I was so wore out, I couldn't even lift my hands up in the shower to wash my head because my arms are cramping up, so uh, anyway... Working out our salvation is a lot like my story. Um, it can be dirty. It can be a little sweaty. 
sometimes unpleasant, but in the end, it's very rewarding. And so as I was looking at this, I, I thought, okay, if I struggle with this, there's got to be somebody else that struggles with this. And I know we've talked about, it, about this before in adult Bible study, but um, I just wanted to know, hey, what is this working out our salvation? What's that all about and what's it look like? And so right away, if you're like me, you automatically think that it has to do with works because obviously work, the word works is right there in the verse. And the first thing that we think of is, are we doing enough? We talked about that this morning. Are we doing enough good? As if there's a great big scale out there, there's a balance. And if we, our good works are over here and our sin's over here, and if we do just enough good works, it's going to outweigh our sin. And by some reason, if we, if we look that way, that if we do enough good works, God's going to love us, God's going to please us, you know, and we're going to be accepted. But it's not about that. And the first thing we have to discuss this morning as I'm talking about this, because I don't want don't to forget this, is, is not to let the enemy fool you into believing that if we do enough good things, that they're going to outweigh our sin. Uh, it's a lie from the enemy, and it's just simply not the case. There's not one thing that we could do that would make God love us more or accept us any more or less than he does right now. And it's really interesting how God confirms some of these messages. You know, uh, we were listening to the worship, and one of the songs says, it says, uh, I can't win this war without God's help. And the other one was the verse that Bob uh, talked about in, in Romans 8, that for there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus for those who, who are in Christ Jesus. So, um, and I've had those, mes- had those uh, uh, messages that have been kind of filtering in and throughout my message this morning. So it's really nice when God confirms what, what he wants you, to, wants, wants you to say. Um, so we know that there's not one thing we can do that, God's, that, that uh, God could love us any more or less. But it doesn't mean that good works aren't a part of what we should be doing as a Christian. In fact, good works really are what we should be doing as a normal part of being a Christian, but not out of a sense of duty or a sense of uh, obligation, but it's more out of a sense of love and what God has done for us. So, um, in fact, you know, when you think about it, really, how else does God get his work done here on earth? I mean, he uses us believers, you know, and so by using obedient believers like you and I, uh, you know, that's how the works get done. In fact, in James 2.26, it says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so is faith without deeds is dead. But it is by the grace of God and the faith in Jesus Christ that we're saved. And so I have to repeat that again because this is so important. It's not by works, but it's by the grace of God and the faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved. And most of you know that, but sometimes it's just a matter of just getting that deep down in our heart. I've got a niece that's, that's in, uh, where's she at now? Columbia now. She's been in this world race, and so she's actually been gone for almost a full year, and so she's been bouncing around from country to country, and so she's got this blog that she posts every so often, and so it's kind of fun to see her, her blogs, but she was talking about this distance, this 18 inches distance between her heart and her head, and how most of her life, it's all, been a, it's all been about performance and doing the right things and pleasing the right people. And so it's always been a head knowledge, but uh, as she's been on this mission trip, she's talking about how, okay, now 
I know no, it's, it's no longer about head knowledge and pleasing people, but it's about what I know and what God has done in my life. And so it's really interesting to see how, how that's been changing her. And it's the same way with us. We just need to get that, that knowledge from here down to here and in our hearts because that's our anchor. That's how, that's how we live and have our being, is knowing that Christ Jesus has done everything that he possibly could for me where I could not do that. So anyway, um, so we are saved, not by what we do, but what we believe and what we know. And, um, you know, it's inter- interesting, though, when we get caught up in the works, uh, you know, it's not something that's brand new. You know, God knows his people. God knows us. And he knows that, you know, if we rely on works, even with the best intentions, we have weaknesses. And he knows that uh, sooner or later, um, if we rely on works, that we're going to take the credit that right, rightfully belongs to God. Hey, did you see what I did? Hey, look at what I've done. It says we can get deceived with our own abilities and that we can believe that we can do anything and eventually, if left unchecked, we eliminate God altogether. Look at the story of the Tower of Babel. You know, God wasn't disappointed in the fact that they were building a colossal tower. He was disappointed that the people were starting to think that their accomplishments had nothing to do with God and that they didn't need God anymore. And so, what did he do? He had to intervene. He stepped in, caused confusion in the land, and so now we do speak different languages, and that's where it all started. But why is it? I don't know. People tend to default to works in order to justify themselves. And I was trying to figure out why that is. And here's what I believe. It's much, much easier for us to put down a list and put together a list of all the good things that we've done. We can step back, just like, just like my project, we can step back and we take a look at it and touch it and say, there, so look at those things that I did for God this week. But it's much, much harder to examine one's own heart and see if the motives that we're doing things by are righteous. That's the harder part. Because you have to sit down and you have to examine, now why did I do those things? Because after a while, like I say, if left unchecked, we think it's by us and by our ability, but it's not. And it's always, it's always interesting to know, too, that it's always obvious to see someone else's shortcomings. Well, I can tell this person so-and-so. I can see what they're doing. That's just, that's not biblical. That's not right. But it's much tougher to admit that we have shortcomings. It's that speck in our eye, the log in our eye, to take out the speck in someone else's. So. And that's if we recognize it at all. So we, first of all, we have to come to that, that point in our life where we actually recognize that we do have shortcomings. But just to give you an example of how uh, people always tend to default to Acts, if you take a look in Acts 3, <clears throat> this is the story where Peter heals the crippled beggar. He comes up to him and he just he says, Gold or silver I do not have, but what I have I give to you. And he just reached down and said, I command you to stand and walk. And he did. So he reached down and he, he picked him up and he started walking around. And I don't think it's more than two or three verses later But the people who were astonished all of a sudden started looking to Peter and John as though they had done this miraculous thing. It was hard for them to see that God was working through Peter and John and all they could see was the natural and not the spiritual. Their eyes were just simply blinded to the things of God. So again, remember, all this talk of good works, just want to be certain that you understand we're saved by grace and not by works. 
So what is Paul telling us in Ephesians 2.26 when he says, continue to work out your salvation? Well, first of all, the working out part has nothing to do with works, but it has everything to do with our expression of our gift of salvation and what he's done for us and how it relates to our spiritual growth and development. You know, when God first changes us, that change doesn't happen on the outside. That change happens on the inside. It starts with our heart. So if it starts here, then it works outward. So not always does it happen immediately. So a lot of times when he changes us, our heart's been changed, but it takes a little bit of a while. It takes a while for us to get our body trained to know the things that we should be doing. It just takes some time. It's also about becoming mature in the faith. It's about learning to hear God and understand the plans that he has for us and for his kingdom. Salvation is not just a gift that's received once and for all, but rather it expresses itself in an ongoing process to the finish. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, it says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. And it's kind of interesting here now that we have the Olympics going on. I've been watching some of that. But it says, everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And again here, just the distinction. The prize is not salvation because we know that the moment we accept Christ, he's in our hearts and that, that part's been completed and that's done. But the prize that we're talking about here is the rewards and the blessings that God wants to give us for being faithful in our walk. So, why is it so difficult to walk out our faith? It always seems like it's just a struggle. So many times we, we hear of people just... You know, you just feel like you're falling short all the time. And we fall short. I fall short. Well, it, in Philippians 2, 3, it gives us an example of how our attitudes should be like. First, it starts out, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So now we see that, okay, if we're going to work out our salvation and we're going to compare that and hold that up, we're holding it up to the example of what Jesus has done for us. You know, you have a perfect example, and so obviously when you're going to compare those two things, you're going to find out, guess what? We're going to fall short when compared to Jesus and his character. Just think of how the world would have us believe. You know, if you watch television, you listen to the radio, I mean, we live in this world. But what's the world tell us? Look out for number one. Doesn't matter how or who you step on to get there, as long as you're climbing the ladder to success. Everything we hear in this world is completely opposite of how our faith walk should be. So you want to know why you're struggling with your walk? It's because you're going against the grain. You're going against the grain. 
It was kind of interesting too. Um, the other night I was talking to Gloria about the world. You know, the Bible mentions the Antichrist. And he mentions the Antichrist almost as a person. But here, and may, just maybe, I was just thinking about this the other day. Um, I was telling Gloria, you know, it almost seems like the world is the Antichrist. You know, we can get caught up so much in what the world is doing. And everything the world is doing right now is so anti, anti-Christ. You know, it's not about, not about believing. It's about being who you are. They're trying to remove God from everything in the everything that we can possibly think of. They're trying to remove that. So, I don't know. And it's just a side note, but I always thought, you know, Antichrist is the world. Yeah. But it's interesting, uh, the way Paul mentions it up here, when he's talking about that race, he says, he's talking about his body and how he has to beat it and make it his slave. See, it's always our body that we're fighting. In that song, it was that war. It's that Old self versus the new self. We're changed, but yet there's still remnants of the old body that's still with us. And so we're battling that all the time. When we accept what Jesus has done on the cross, we're new creatures. We're supposed to put off the old and put on the new. We're supposed to die to self every day and then walk away. But the problem is, oftentimes we come back and we try to revive that old self. He's laying on the ground, we want to get down there and give it CPR and try to revive that and keep bringing it around. But we're supposed to move on. You're supposed to let the past stay in the past. And this reminds me of the two dogs that are going to fight. You've heard the story, somebody asks a question, which one's going to win? And the answer is, the one who gets fed the most. And so it is with our bodies. And so it is with us believers. We find ourselves at battle with our old self. And this is why working out our faith is so difficult at times. And this is what Paul's talking about when he says he has to make his body his slave. Last week in Mike's message, he was talking about examining ourselves. He mentioned that there has to be boundaries and borders when we're walking out our faith. And there are certain things that we can just, just cannot go back to doing the way we did before we were saved. About three weeks ago, uh, my family, we decided to go out to the Black Hills and do some trail riding with four-wheelers. Um, now, if anybody's ever traveled out I-90 and you're going west, and I know most of you have, but when you get out that direction, if you get west of Mitchell, South Dakota, there is a lot of nothing out there. <laughs> I mean nothing. <clears throat> there is field after field of pasture ground. I mean, that's what they do out there. You know, the ground and the climate just isn't conducive for crops. So once in a while you'll see a sunflower crop or maybe a spring wheat crop, but, you know, it's mostly pasture out there. And so, you know, that's what they do for a living. They have thousands of acres of pasture land. And uh, as I was thinking about this message, one of these things, it just kind of popped in there. In order to keep their herds where they're supposed to be, they put up these fences, miles, miles of fences. And even when we were trail riding in the forest, we still ran into a few fences and some, quite a few cattle. And I had many times uh, had thought, how in the world does the rancher even know where his cattle are at? Here, here we are up in the woods, you know, and all of a sudden there's just, here's a fence and there's a few cattle. I'm thinking, how does he keep track of all these things? But anyway, um, I was thinking about this. A comparison just kind of happened to pop into my mind about these fences and these borders and the boundaries and how we believers look at sin. Now, on the farm growing up, we had livestock. We had cattle, we had horses, we had sheeps, we had pigs, other animals. 
And don't you love it when you're always compared to an animal? <laughs> but hey, if the Bible can do it, I can do it. But when it came time to turn the livestock out into the pasture, I always found it interesting that there are always a few animals that just had to go out and test the fence. They had to go out and try it out. Uh, you know, they would actually walk the perimeter. They'd get out in the pasture, brand new pasture, grass is green everywhere. But no, they step out in the pasture, and the first thing they do, they hit to the, hit to the borders, and they start walking around the fence. Well, here they're looking for a weak spot. They're looking for maybe an area that they might be able to slip through. And it seemed sooner or later that one of them would always get out. Of course, once they got out, they weren't smart enough to be able to get back in the same way they got back out. So we'd always have to go back out, herd them around the side of the, you know, get, get them around back to the front where the gate was at, okay? Had to put them back in ourselves. Now, the comparison that I had was the fence and how it represents sin in our lives and how our old selves tend to wander that perimeter, trying to find that weakness. We're trying to find that weak spot in the fence and cross over to the other side from time to time. You know, in our hearts, you know, we're changed and we know what's right and we know what's good, but we continue to wander close to that fence where we're vulnerable. You know, if you ever see animals that do that, it's never the whole herd. It's always just one or two. You know, they're always singled out. It's the same way with us. You know, we're vulnerable from attacks from the enemy because a lot of times when we're doing that, when we're wandering that fence and that close to sin, we're by ourselves. In fact, we can't stay that close to sin all the time and not expect that sooner or later we're going to fall. It's just bound to happen. Because Satan does know our weak spots, and I think he's right there on that fence trying to, trying to stretch the wires too and trying to hold it open for us to go through. But he's seen what we've, that what, he has seen what we have fallen for in the past, but he likes to single us out from the group as well. It's kind of interesting. I had a, there was a message uh, I remember some time ago that Brian's sister Annie actually came up and spoke, and I, I don't even remember what the, what the occasion was. But Annie was saying how dangerous it is for believers to wink at sin. That was the, that was the phrase that she said. And that has stuck with me uh, for many, many, many years. I think it always will. And by winking at sin, I mean flirting with sin. <clears throat> and not taking serious thought to the sin that we have in our lives and how this affects our relationship with God. It's really hard to be close to God because, quite honestly, sin is separation from God. God can't be with sin. Just, that's just not his being. He's just not his character. So why, though even we know the difference between good and evil, why do we do what's sinful? And why do we struggle with this? Well, Paul does a really good job explaining it in Romans. And the heading in your Bible may say, struggling with sin, obviously. I call this verse the doo-doo verse because uh, it can be a bit of a downer at first, but it has a great ending, okay? I'm just going to read this. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? He's talking about the commandments. Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would have not known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would have not known what coveting really was if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced every kind of coveting in me. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin, excuse me, sin sprang into life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. 
For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. And that's what sin is. That, that, that's what the law does. It basically points out, hey, we're not good enough. We can't, we, we just aren't good enough. Every one of us falls short. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become sin to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. Now here's the part that I was talking about earlier, about this war. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. And as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. There it is. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now this is Paul talking. And if he's struggling, struggling with it, you know how much more we're going to be struggling with it. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that living in me that does it. So there it is. I find this law working in me. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. And then he even exclaims here, he says, What a wretched man I am. But here's the great news. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, in our own power, we can't overcome the sin that's in our lives, but God gives us the power to stand. And he gives us the power to stand righteous before him through his son Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross for us. We all sin, and it's in our nature from the beginning of time to sin. But we don't have to beat ourselves up. All we have to do is get right with Jesus, truly repent of our sin, and then turn from it. Romans 8. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life have set you what? Free. We are free. No longer to be slaves. And he set us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, it was weakened by the flesh. And God did, did this by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So there's that war. You all want to know why we struggle so much? There's that war. But the good news is Christ has done the work. We don't have to do the work. Christ has done it for us. All we have to do is just put our faith and our confidence in Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well, he was putting his finger on the sin in her life. She had had several husbands and at the time was living with one who was not her husband. And so what did Jesus do? He had compassion for her. He showed her love and he showed her forgiveness. And guess what? Out of that same love, he 
he has forgiveness for us as well. Because he's purchased us all back from the grave, every one of us, by his blood. So let us honor him with our lives. Let us live the life that he has sacrificed for us. And let us be ambassadors for Christ and proclaim the good news of the gospel to all that we encounter. So in closing, if you find yourself on the wrong side of the fence, just remember that it's not by our power. We can't get back on our own. But Jesus is right there. He is there. The gate's open, and he's waiting to lead us back home. Amen. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for all the things that you show us continually, Father, of how on our own power we come up short, so short. But Lord, we thank you that it's through your power that we live and we have breath and we have our being. And it's through you that makes us righteous, Father. It's through your death and your resurrection, Father, that, that we are heirs and we are sons and daughters of Christ. So Father, I just pray right now, Father, that as we go from here, that we put our confidence in you, that we put our trust in you, Father, that we always look to you for wisdom, look to you for guidance, not what the world would say, but what you would say. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, we pray for just all the new believers, Father. I thank you so much, Father, that you show yourself mighty here every day. Father, that you uh, can take uh, new believers like us and, and believers, maybe first-time visitors, Father, and you can still find a way to their heart. And so, Lord, we thank you for that, Father, and we just pray that that seed would now be on fertile ground, Father, and that would be watered, and you would continue to cause it to grow and nourish and produce hundredfold fruit, Father. We just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.